Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. This month, farmers are discussing their approach to managing greenhouse gas emissions as the roadshow for Haywaka Ekanoa comes to an end. Haywaka Ekanoa is a joint industry-government Māori initiative that's investigating an alternative to emissions, an alternative emissions program for agriculture that's outside the emissions trading scheme. If Haywaka Ekanoa cannot come up with a suitable plan, the government may just fold the primary sector into the ETS anyway. The stakes are high. The majority of New Zealand's greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture, and for 15 years, the sector has been allowed to operate outside the ETS. The result is a steady rise in emissions in line with increasing herd numbers, and critics say the sector has no plan, that it's getting a free ride. They say it's high time that that agriculture is brought into the same scheme as everyone else. Farmer groups say there is a plan. It's Haywaka Ekanoa and that the ETS is the wrong tool for managing biological emissions, especially methane. And they warn that a blunt tool like the ETS will lead to perverse effects, such as a massive shift from farming to pine forests, which we've talked about before on the show, and unnecessarily damage our largest export sector. So the next few weeks are interesting. What will farmers agree to? What will Haywaka Ekanoa propose to Minister Shaw? And will the government agree? So to discuss all of that, sounds a bit like a soap opera, doesn't it, Kelly? Um, to discuss all of that and what happens next, I'm joined by Haywaka Ekanoa Program Director, Kelly Forster. Thank you, Kelly, for giving us your time. I'm sure you're busy. Thanks for having me, Vincent. Look forward to the to the chat. Good. Um, so the roadshow is coming to an end. When is the last meeting? Um, so the roadshow has been um, partner-led. Um, they had their last meeting last week. Uh, now the submission form is still open, so we're still receiving feedback and, and engaging directly with um, mm-hmm. with groups as as requested. Um, so so yeah, that the the roadshows themselves have wrapped up, and and mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks they just went online, obviously due to the current circumstances with um, COVID spread. Yes. What's the kind of tenor of the discussions at these events and and online? There has been um, really good engagement from farmers. So so at last count, and I haven't done a total tally um, since the meetings finished, but um, a couple of weeks ago, there'd been around 1,600 farmers that had had attended either um, a face-to-face roadshow or one of the online webinars um, that had been run by Dairy NZ and Beef and Lamb. Um, other partners have been running events as well. Um, so the Federation of Māori Authorities um, and directly with Māori Agribusiness and um, the Deer Association and Foundation for Arable Research. Um, so so each of the partners has been having um, direct engagements with um, farmers and growers. Um, so the engagement's been good um, mm. and uh, l- l- lots of really constructive feedback. Um, and so, yeah, the... the um, the focus is now back on the program um, to have a really good hard look um, at the options and that feedback and where to next. For a while, it really felt like there were so many voices in agri in particular as, uh, as a subset of the primary sector that were in denial about climate change. But that I really think that has changed. That feels like 
that denial no longer exists and what there is now just a willingness to engage or do you find that there's still a resistance for change the, the agriculture sector is just like New Zealand as a whole, and it's a really broad church. Um, there is um, a really strong commitment from the ag sector bodies uh, to actually um, the sector playing its part in in the response to climate change, and that you know they they lead um, they lead farm they represent farmers and they lead farmers, and so they are represent. There is also you know um, yeah. A vast majority of farmers who um, are really committed to this as well, but but like any group across New Zealand, um, there are those that still think that do nothing is an option as well. Hmm. Well, it sounds like do nothing's at least not going to happen. Um, tell us in very simple terms, indulge us with an overview of what the three propositions are. I think there are three, aren't they, that you've put farmers. So there, there are two options that Hiwaki Kanoa is putting forward. Um, the other option that we've outlined in our consultation document is, like you say, the the, al- the alternative that government um, has said that they will enact if Hiwaki Kanoa doesn't come up with a credible alternative. Uh, so, so that we refer to as the backstop option, um, and that is pricing agricultural greenhouse gas emissions at the processor level in the emissions trading scheme. Mm. Uh, so um, that not was your preferred what, option, I think. No, no, no. So that's right. So, so Hiwaki Kanoa, and we can go into the we can go into the why. But first, I'll just outline what the those options that Hiwaki Kanoa is putting forward. Um, The first is a farm level um, split gas levy, uh, and and the second is a processor hybrid split gas levy. And just the key features of each, with the farm level um, split gas levy, well, common to both is the split gas approach, a different price for methane um, as compared to nitrous oxide, which is long lived gas. With the farm level levy, the emissions calculation is done at the farm level. So, so um, individual farmers calculate their own farm emissions. Um, we've we've um, suggested that there be an approach where you can take a simple um, calculation method or, or something mm-hmm. more detailed that can pick up all the different mitigation options um, that there are available. Um, and then you get um, a price on your methane and a price on your nitrous oxide and you can minus off um, sequestration um, that's eligible uh, and and that's your net bill. Um, mm-hmm. And so, if you are um, lower emissions, um, or or if you are taking up the mitigation technologies that are available, um, you'll obviously have a lower lower bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the um, that so that's the key features of the um, farm level system in a nutshell. The processor hybrid system um, has. Um, the price, the levy applied at a processor level, so you've got the 200-odd processors um, paying for emissions associated with um, farms. But individual farms can opt in to a um, contract, which is called an emissions management contract or a sequestration management contract, to Mm. get credit back for doing activities to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so um, the the pros of the farm system is that um, each farmer has control over their individual farm footprint and is priced according to that. Um, the key downside is that any system that has around 23,000 participants is in it is expensive to run. Yes. Um, so um, the, the processor hybrid, um, we initially focused most of our time on developing that farm level system. That's why we set up. When we started seeing the costs, the, the partners thought maybe we need to look at an, at an alternative um, and see if it stacks up. So the processor hybrid was born um, 
And so that has slightly lower costs, but there are still some costs um, associated with that kind of farm level emissions management mm. contract. What are uh, the, the costs are eye watering? I think it was, did I read 70 million for the farmer level scheme? The, um, the costs, that 70 million is the. Um, what what is yeah what is proposed as the or what is suggested as the annual operating cost? But um, what's really important to know is that half of that is us accounting for the um, cost of farmers' time in um, calculating their emissions. Oh, I see. Yeah, and so um, so it's not just it's not just running the regulatory system. The costs for running the regulatory system. Another big chunk of that is actually amortization of the IT build costs. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of trying to spread that establishment cost out through the each year. Um, and um, But some of the more expensive parts are just um, what it would take to um, have a system to register um, 23,000 farms and then um, regularly or, or maybe in a similar way to the IRD audit and verify um, the emissions calculation and sequestration mm -hmm. accounting. Mm -hmm. So so it, it does seem a lot. We are, we are um, we have been focused um, if, uh, alongside the consultation um, period, just looking, continuing to look at where we can cut those costs and integrate those costs. There's, so there's also a real opportunity when you go to farm level to integrate those costs alongside other systems that farmers already participate in mm -hmm. or will mm -hmm. participate in the future, like freshwater farm planning, for example. Yeah, sure. Uh, being a farmer is a very administrative task these days, isn't it? There's, um, you know, data up the wazoo. Um, what are the farmers saying? Is there any clear winner out of those two approaches? The farmers are, um, the feedback's definitely um, strongly in support of a farm level system. And, and the core reasons that farmers are saying that is they, um, the processor hybrid doesn't pick up all farmers, so it only, only picks up directly those farms that are supplying to a processor. And it doesn't account for the individual footprint of, of a farm. It's just an mm. average national calculation. Mm. Farmers want the system that reflects the individual farm circumstances and they want to be able to have the things that they do to reduce emissions recognised in the system. So mm. um, so there is a strong preference for farm level. There is, you know, with that, um, you know, a re reference to those costs and saying surely we can surely we can get those down um, and that integration with other um, environmental objectives and, and um, environmental policies is really critical mm. uh, and um, yeah but but there's also a number of farmers that have recognized that we might need a transition to get there. Mm -hmm. I mean, so already um, a quick diversion, but, you know, Fonterra and others already run these really sophisticated dashboards for managing farm systems, right? And so presumably it could be just incorporated into your farm management tool that you've taken from your producer? Exactly. So those are the, all the opportunities that we're really trying to push into to see if it can streamline those those costs. And um, the, what was I going to say? Sorry. All right. I'm sure we'll go back to it. Um, now, now, the net result of all of this seems uh, you've done some modelling, right, on what this alternative scheme could be, and the reduction is ends up with a, with a gross number. I quoted you in my article, and others have as well, apparently mistakenly, that there's a 1% reduction 
uh, by 2030 off a base, I think, uh, actually, we need to ask you what the baseline is, but a 1% reduction in you, well, one of your colleagues wrote back and said, well, it's not quite right, actually, it's, it's a much higher number. Do you want to just explain why I'm wrong and what the actual predicted reduction in greenhouse gas emissions would be by 2030 if one of these schemes was adopted? Yeah, so there's um, the emission reductions um, layer up, I suppose, is a good way of describing it. And so you reference the base case. So um, we've looked at um, what will existing policies do in terms of agriculture sector greenhouse gas emissions and the existing policies that we're focused on, as, as you've already mentioned, um, ETS forestry. Um, that is already driving change um, from um, livestock to to forestry, and we also looked at the essential freshwater um, policies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our modelling suggests that um, those policies will drive around four and a half percent emissions reductions by twenty thirty. Um, and so, what we are looking at is is what happens on top of that. Then our proposals are involve a combination of emissions pricing and then using any revenue raised from the emissions price to create an enhanced incentive to reduce emissions. Um, if we were just to put price on emissions alone, because mitigations, because there aren't a lot of really cost-effective mitigations available to the agriculture sector at the moment, um, you would have to put a really high price on, and that would put vast numbers of the sector out of business, um, which isn't actually what we want to do. What we want to do is get farming systems to be um, to lower their greenhouse gas emissions. And so what the proposals do is they combine the, the emissions price, as I described in that farm level system, calculate your emissions, multiply your emissions by the price, um, and that's your cost. But they um, also combined with a reward for uptake of practices to reduce emissions um, and so uh, as farmers um, take up those practices, they get credit back. And it's mm-hmm. the combination of those two things um, that drive, uh, that our modelling is showing will drive around 4% emission reductions on top of that 4.5% emissions reductions, um, which is obviously um, getting you up around the, the 859 9 um, And then the methane target, um, which is included in the Climate Change Response Act, covers both the ag sector and waste. And so um, the Climate Change Commission has predicted some emission reductions from waste as well, which which means that um, as, a, as a package, you have got proposals that can credibly meet the Climate Change Response Act target. And the target being a 10% reduction in methane by 2030, is that right? That's, that's right, yep. And then... Um, t- I think it's 24 to 42. I always forget the, the range by 2050. Yeah, okay. Just remind me what the baseline is that compared to 1990 levels? 2017. Right, okay. From when the uh, commitment was made at Paris or something. Yeah, I, I, I am not sure the reasoning behind the 2017, but that seems could be logical, yes. Okay, all right. So... If I can understand what you're saying is the what's already happening with land management in the response to the emissions trading scheme, so planting forests, 
planting other kind of trees that uh, pine, pine forests and other kind of trees, other kind of reduction activities that was already happening will produce about a 4% reduction in emissions by 2030. Plus, if hey, Waka Ekanoa came into effect with some sort of scheme, we would get another additional four, four and a half percent. So we're, that's where we're getting up towards our eight, nine-ish. Then there's what you called waste, which was basically methane is being released from um, landfill and broken pipes and other things, um, would get us within Kui of that original kind of vision of a 10% reduction in, in methane in particular. And methane really is kind of the focus of this, isn't it, for, um, for ag. Is that an accurate summary? Uh, that's an accurate summary of the um, of the of the how the modelling layers up um, to to meeting the emission reduction targets. The the fact that methane is a focus of this um, is is probably um, not an accurate description. Um, the the it, the proposals also cover nitrous oxide. Um, mm -hmm. Nitrous oxide is bundled up with um, carbon dioxide in our targets uh, with the goal of net zero um, by twenty fifty. Uh, so. Um, the, yeah, it is. It is important that there is also um, an incentive to reduce nitrous oxide. Although um, the options to um, reduce nitrous oxide are a bit more limited at the moment, so there is some more mm -hmm. investment that's needed to to um, to bring those forward. So um, it, it, even at that um, number, it seems laughably off pace with other commitments. And I'm thinking, in particular, the one that's come out of Glasgow. Uh, a commitment internationally to reduce methane emissions by 30% by 2030. 4%, or even being generous, 8% uh, still is miles away. Why is there is this sort of gap in ambition? I, I can't really talk. I don't, I don't really have the good background on on what's gone into setting the 30% the, um, methane um, target. But um, I do know what's gone into a little bit about what's gone into setting the domestic target, which is that ten percent reduction in methane. Uh, and um, what that target is recognising is the different characteristics of the different gases, uh, and the fact that methane is short-lived and carbon dioxide is is mm -hmm. um, very long-lived, um, and carbon dioxide accumulates. So, so that that science underpins. The um, the government's decision um, to take on split gas targets um, and and put those in legislation under the Climate Change Response Act. Um, yeah, I'm I'm afraid I can't. I, I haven't I haven't drilled into the detail of the the 30% methane commitment, but I do know. Um, and this is just talking offhand. I know that you know there are a lot of um, methane emissions that are created from um, fugitive um, gas, um, which. If, um, again, I'm, not, I'm straying a little bit outside my expertise, but I think there are some low-cost ways to address that. Um, and so, uh, I don't, I don't think it's much of an issue in New Zealand, but I think globally, it's it, mm -hmm. it's, it is an issue and an opportunity um, to reduce methane quite cost-effectively. So, without obviously having to have impacts on food production and the like. How do you respond to the critics who say that agriculture has been given a free ride? You know, for so long it's been outside any sort of emissions reduction scheme. And now this proposal seems incredibly modest and late. And 
they're kind of correct, aren't they? I mean, that is a fair criticism that our biggest sector has not been playing its part in the overall, I suppose, effort to seriously reduce emissions. Do you agree with that? And how do you respond? I don't. Um, I don't agree with it. Although I do, um, I do know that there is a um, a strong commitment to. Um, to act now, um, I, 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 I guess um, some of the things that came to mind as you were talking about um, that was the fact that we do need to get started, hundred um, percent. That, that there are farmers that are already on the journey. There are farmers that are already taking action, but we do need to get mm. started at it. We, we need to accelerate that change um, at a greater scale, and that's what Hewaki Kanoa is is designed to achieve. There has been there has been investment by the sector in mitigation. Opportunities, so that's been ongoing. Um, it it hasn't brought anything through yet, but um, the you know the climate change commission identified that is a real target area for New Zealand is is um, can bringing forward those mitigation technologies for methane, and so um, that investment that's happened over the last um, 15, 20 years um, will get honed and sharpened, and that's um, built into our proposals here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it and it should be pointed out that it, the, the income that's generated from the Haywaka Kanoa scheme, most of that would be put into research, right? Some of that would be put into research. I think most of it would be put into um, that, those additional incentives to reduce emissions that I was talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, mm-hmm. but okay. um, because because it's not it's not just money that that research needs. There are other barriers um, to getting that research across the line, um, mm. including regulatory barriers and the like. So. Um, but but some additional investment will help. So so yes, that the options recognise recognise that. Um, but I I and I mean in terms of going back to your going back to your question, is this ambitious enough? Um, the we the sector is is absolutely committed to this. Um, and and you've seen the I don't know if you know the um, milestones that are wrapped around this about farmers knowing their numbers and having a plan. And the and the sectors have been really committed to that um, mm-hmm. awareness. Um, awareness raising activity, and they're not going to dial back from here. So, so I think looking forward, um, there is a real commitment um, to support farmers to be part of the solution. And and I also think it's important. I'm not trying to make ex- excuses or say why <laughs> we shouldn't do anything. Well, I feel a little bit unfair making you speak on behalf of the agricultural sector, but anyway, you're here. Yeah. But other sectors, um, other sectors in the economy haven't. Um, are still increasing as well, uh, mm. and so um, it is. That, but and but this sector it does have a plan. It's just not very ambitious, is it? And and it's so late, you know. For so long, the sector's been kicking the can down the road, and for all the wrong reasons, has avoided you know a carbon tax, has you know called it a fart tax, has managed to squeeze its way out of the ETS. Uh, it doesn't look. Good, and it doesn't uh, sound credible when a number like four percent is is put forward. Um, and the, uh, I guess the the fear for you is that um, if it's not credible enough, the the control will be taken away from the sector, right? And and you'll be told what to do rather than control your destiny. Yeah, and that is that is front of mind for the sector. And and when you say it's not credible enough. Um, there are targets that these proposals 
um, deliver on. And and those targets have been set by the government. Um, the government has determined what credible looks like, um, and that is a 10% reduction in methane by 2030. And that's what the proposals can deliver on. So um, I think if those if those targets aren't credible enough, that's a conversation that needs to happen elsewhere. Um, but the system is designed to deliver on um, on the, on those goals, whilst maintaining a pro- a productive agriculture sector at the same same time. So it's not at the expense of. And I um, I think there that is an important goal um, that we do as a as a country. Um, want a profitable, productive ag sector. It just needs to be a lower emissions, profitable, productive agriculture sector. And I think everyone mm. is quite aligned with that vision. We want our stake and eat it too, so to speak. <laughs> the, the minister has hinted that your numbers look no uh, look low. He there was a sort of a you know kind of very um, polite but clear signal from the minister that he was disappointed in the initial uh, feedback from Hawaka Ekana. Are you worried about? The politics of this. Do you think that you're going to get a fair hearing? Well, the the beauty of the partnership is that government has been involved as well, and so um, these proposals aren't just developed by the sector; they're developed with government in the room, um, testing and challenging each other, um, and um, trying to find a solution that will land. Um, obviously, ministers are the are the final decision makers. Um, but um, but we are trying to deliver something that they can um, you know can be proud to proud to back. So that is a, that is definitely a goal. And in terms of those, I mean, we, that, that the history of that one percent was we we did targeted engagement um, in November before in advance of the wide engagement in February, um, and we had a draft consultation document, and we had only done um, we hadn't finished doing the modelling. Um, of the recycling revenue, um, and mm-hmm. so the only modelling that we had was what the result, what the actual effect of the price on its own would be, um, and it was a number that got picked up um, and and thrown around that one percent. But it wasn't it wasn't the complete picture. L- lesson for me: uh, don't report on unfinished <laughs> modelling um, because that's the number that'll stick. And so I think with the, the comments that you're talking about from Shaw were were also when someone said is one percent enough, obviously the answer would be no, and our, the sector would say no that's not enough either um it has to be it has to be credible and be able to show that we can um meet those targets that are currently in legislation Mm. what's so bad about the emissions trading scheme everyone else has to do it what's what would be so bad for ag if it was folded in well the, the first thing vincent is it would actually be a really bad thing for climate change um that if ag emissions were priced at the processor level under current under current settings, um, that's where the one percent comes in. You would get a one mm-hmm. percent emission reduction. Um, it doesn't it doesn't drive very effective change um, on on its own. Uh, so um, the other the other key downside um, for the ETS um, for being in the ETS is that it doesn't recognise the split gas targets that are in legislation, and so um, it is going to. Um, it is likely that that price is just going to continue to rise regardless of whether the ag sector meets that methane target or not. Um, The purpose of an emissions um, trading scheme or any um, emissions price is to drive emission reductions, not just to price emissions for the sake of pricing them, right? And so um, um, you would end up with a price that is really out out of line with what you need to achieve 
what, what reductions you need to achieve. Mm-hmm. Can, can you explain that? I, I think I get it, but just explain why um, why the ETS uh, would not acknowledge the efforts and uh, reward the efforts of the farmers to reduce their emissions. I, I don't quite understand that. Because the ETS um, includes methane um, as a, it, it converts methane using the GWP star metric. And so mm. the price on methane would be tied to the price needed to reduce carbon dioxide. Not so this, is ca- this is CO2E, where E being the equivalent. So it's a sort of yeah. a bundled figure that includes all greenhouse gases, whether they're short term, long term, long lived, etc. Exactly. Exactly, and so that the the price, the ETS price, will will need to be the price um, that is needed to drive emission reductions in carbon dioxide ultimately, um, and carbon dioxide needs to get to net zero, um, mm. whereas the the, the government um, has has clearly stated that methane needs to reduce and stabilise, but not get to zero like those long lived gases in in reflection of this this the science. Um, and so, if yeah, so that's why if mm. the um, price on methane was tied to the was tied to carbon dioxide, it would end up being much higher than it needs needs to be to actually get mm-hmm. the emission reductions that we need. Mm. Mm. Okay, um, just explain something for me about methane. We know that it's uh, a very tricky gas; it's very powerful, but it isn't long lived. And um, mitigating it's hard, isn't it? Because um, without the technology of reducing ruminant belching, uh, what can you do? You know, trees do not absorb methane, and so there's no there's there's no kind of magic with getting rid of this, this stuff. So, ha- how does what's the alternative to just reducing herd numbers if there is no technology? And the next thing is to reduce herd numbers, and we could perhaps talk about the effect of that going into pine instead but what do you do if if you if you can't reduce it through tech there there are some small gains that can still be made um through um efficiency provided that um you then don't just um use the the feed that's still there to to increase your stock numbers um so there are some there there are definitely lots of little things that farmers can do to um, to reduce their emissions by by a small amount, but um, that they are re- they are really limited, um, and so that's why um, bringing investing in those technologies and bringing them forward um, is pretty important for us to be able to meet more ambitious targets uh, over over time. Hmm. Hmm. There's a sort of a different way of approaching this rather than thinking about it as a cost of thinking about managing emissions as a strategic advantage. And I imagine that you, in a more hopeful view of the future, have this idea that New Zealand could pioneer methane management. Do, do you have a sense of what a, a good outcome would look like for you? And I know that you're, um, you're into trees, you told me before you plant trees, so um, I know that you care. What does a good future look like for the ag sector and for New Zealand? I, th- I guess I've already kind of kind of um, said it, but I th- a good future is that um, all farmers in New Zealand are looking at their farm systems 
uh, and um, mainstreaming and, and that thought about how though your farm level decisions affect the climate is kind of mainstreamed into that decision making. So at mm. the moment, that's kind of a, a, a new thought process that farmers are going through. Um, yeah, my my vision for the for the future or what good looks like um, is that it's a mainstream part of decision making, and um, that there is a really thriving productive agriculture sector, and it's both. Um, sheep, beef, deer, dairy, hort, arable, um, that that farmers are looking at what the best use um, of their land is in the context of climate change, in the context of fresh water, in the context of biodiversity, uh, and um, and they're thriving as a result. And, yeah, I, I think that's the and, and that's why it's really important to get the pricing system right because you don't just want to put people out of business because they can't afford to pay the price. What you want to do is create an incentive for people to um, to take up what they have available and to look at their farm business uh, and look at where those efficiencies and and tweaks can be made and then in the future take on those new those new technologies. That's got to be part of the vision as well, right? Getting getting those new technologies coming coming into farm. There's a, a really neat illustration by. Um, a stock take's been done on where all the research is currently at. Um, and as part of that stock take, you'll see it in our consultation document, there's a really neat illustration which talks about all, all the um, mitigations that are coming down the pipeline and this fence that they've got to get over, um, which is a number of different hurdles, you know, invest, money is one, but there are also a number of different other hurdles to get those mitigations over the fence so they can be used in the paddock. Um, and, that, I mean, getting more of those mitigations over the fence into the paddock is um is good is what good looks like as well. Could New Zealand be a, a generator of IP around this stuff? Not my area of expertise. Um, my my lace person's um, take on that is, yeah, I, I would think so. But I think I think um, there are lots of people that are trying to um, that that talk and understand the IP space. I'm not sure what the challenges are and and then. Makes mm. sense to me. Yeah, you you grew up on a sheep and beef farm, and th- there will be a lot of people wondering about the viability of agriculture. Should the, should the price of carbon continue to go up? And we've sort of touched on that, but also just having to mitigate climate um, emissions reductions. Having to mitigate your emissions may push farmers out of their current business and into different land uses, whether it's hort, whether it's growing pine. Do you anticipate uh, overall, you know, kind of have we have we reached peak cow? Uh, are we going to see major land use change as a result of having to uh, account for our emissions? I think that um, the, the future that these policies are trying to drive into um, isn't to exacerbate that land use change to pine. Um, that's there, and, and I, it sounds like you've already done a podcast on that. Um, and government is obviously focusing efforts on to do that. So mm. um, where our um, proposals um, push into is how can we have um, sequestration integrated into the farming system and, and the sequestration, most of the sequestration which is eligible in our system is, is natives. Um, because there are obviously a lot of co-benefits associated with natives. So that's where um, our system wants to drive the change. Sequestration doesn't offset methane. Um, You're 100% right about that. But it is 
um, it does have a real benefit to the to the planet, um, and it is an important aspect of sheep and a sheep and beef farm's response to, I guess, their overall footprints um, in in the scheme of things. So, mm. so um, I think those sequestration um, offsets are really critical for um, the sheep and beef sector um, and, and their ability to integrate natives and get a reward for integrating natives into their farming system um, mm. is, is part of the solution. Mm. And that could be still delivered through the ETS. You don't have to have Haywalker Ekanoa to do that, right? That we are that that the native some of the native sequestration that is eligible under our system is also eligible under the ETS. Um, there are a number of barriers to participating um, in in the ETS, um, and um, so a lot of farmers do have native sequestration, which is eligible, um, but the the administrative hurdles to overcome um, have kind of been too large, so we're trying to we are trying to simplify that. But there are some sequestration that we have made eligible that isn't eligible under the emissions trading scheme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, um, the additional sequestration that comes from managing your um, regenerating bush, uh, and so what, one of the proposals is that. Uh, if you have fenced off that bush, um, you can get a reward for the additional sequestration associated with the, mm-hmm. the management of that. And then if mm-hmm. you do additional protection um, through pest and weed management, you can get an additional benefit through that. So it's credible sequestration um, and it and it is a really important way of rewarding um, the behaviour that um, farmers, some farmers have already undertaken and we want farmers to do more of. Um, and it's got those, you know, those win-wins of um, biodiversity, etc. Mm, yeah, which we absolutely need because they're all related. Um, Kelly, just what happens in the next month or so? How, how does this resolve and what which should we be looking in, out for? So the partnership is now focused on, the, the consultation finishes at the end of this week. But we've been looking at the feedback as it's coming in because we've got a short time frame to turn around recommendations to ministers. Um, so the partners will continue to um, to work through the feedback and understand um, what parts farmers like about the proposals, what farmers they don't, and ultimately what the preferred option is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, it, as part of that, we're, we're likely to have ongoing conversations with farmers as well just to continue to, to test and refine what the proposals are the um, the hard deadline is recommendations to ministers in May um, on an alternative to the emissions trading scheme. So um, that will be a report from the um, from the partners to ministers, uh, and then the ball is in the minister's court. So um, ministers will consider that report. Um, they are likely to engage um, publicly um, on those proposals, potentially alongside any others that that they. Um, want to uh, before making they need to make final decisions on this by December this year mm-hmm. another piece of information that's going to be coming in to the mix is the climate change commission um, is assessing um, how how Hawaki Kanoa has gone against its milestones and also farmer readiness for emissions pricing um, and any assistance that farmers might need in order to be able to respond to a price mm. um, and um, looking at affordability aspects so 
that advice will also come into government um, in June, um, and so government will be um, will be looking at that alongside the Hewaki Canal proposals. Very good. Oh, that's an excellent summary. Thank you, Kelly, and thanks for um, responding some of, some of the curly questions. I'm sure there will be more, and um, I wish you all the best in the next few months as you work this out, and let's hope that that future you outlined is actually going to happen. I agree, Vincent. Thanks for having me. <laughs> good pleasure. Good luck with your planting. Where is it? Where are you planting your trees? Um, in Kōra Kōra, we've got um, a regenerating bit of bush um, that needs a bit of help along. Um, so yeah, and Kōra Kōra is just uh, above the hut, looking over right. Nicholson Bay. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. Mm, mm, I grew up in that extremely windy hill. Well, we used to have friends <laughs> cycling up there. It's a, it's a miserable hill to climb, but um, they, they still cycle past, uh, <laughs> but in multitudes. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, good luck with all of that. And thanks for joining us. Thanks, Vincent. Appreciate it. This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. 